And uh, one of the biggest uh, sort of people in the music industry at that time was the, the hip hopper with the baggy pants named um, MC Hammer. You see a, a picture of uh, MC Hammer on here. Anyone uh, MC Hammer fans? If you're in your 30s, yeah, thank you. If you're in your 30s, you know MC Hammer. And I can remember rocking the Discman, Sony Discman, at a basketball game, getting pumped up and a little too legit to quit, and uh, you can't touch this. In fact, uh, most of my friends could recite the whole, you know, you can't touch this and do the dance and wear the baggy pants. But um, I digress. MC Hammer is a very unique uh, guy in the sense that his lifestyle, I mean, especially after his popularity, he was as popular as it gets <coughs> in the early 90s and late 80s, made millions and millions of dollars, and then some of you already know this, but by 1996, so just a few years or a couple years after the height of his popularity, he had nothing. In fact, he had a $13 million debt and had to file for bankruptcy. And as MC Hammer looks back on those years, he came to this very obvious truth that he spent every day living in the moment and for the moment, but never had the wisdom of looking towards 1996 or even further. And so he spent all of his money, he lived it up, and he had cars, and he had homes, and he had baggy pants on top of baggy pants, and, and he had jewelry, and it's that he had 19 thoroughbred horses and he had a 200 person paid entourage which I'm not sure what they did um, but he paid them all so they hung out with him of course he would you know you're getting paid right and because he didn't look to the future because he didn't have the bigger perspective about what was coming even before the last day he lost it all right let me ask a more important, the first day or the last day? I, I suppose it matters what time it is, right? But we are a people that love to celebrate first days and first things, right? The first, uh, the first few steps, the first birthday. We celebrate the first day of school or the first day of hunting or the, the, the first day of, of marriage. And yet, if you were to think about it, in most cases, while the first day is good, So the first day, new backpack, new clothes, pictures taken, upload on Facebook, you know, great, right? But the first day means nothing if, at, if, if the last day is not a good one, right? On the last day, that's more important that hopefully they go on to the next grade, right? Or if you're in high school that you graduate and get your diploma, the last day is more important. Or the first day of hunting, there's that anticipation of, of your husband finally leaving for a little while and giving you some space. No, I'm the anticipation of being with the guys and, and hunting, or if you're a, a lady that hunts, being with people and hunting or whatever it might be. But it's the last day that's more important, isn't it? The last day you hope that you have shot a deer and that there's meat in the freezer, right? How about marriages? We spend a lot of time and money planning the first day 
there's nothing wrong with that. It's good to have a celebration. But just think about it. There's family and music and food and friends and lots of smiling, right? And the first day is great. But anyone who's been married more than the first day knows that the last day is more important than the first day. And if you could trade the joys of the first day for the last, a last day that's filled with a husband and a wife who still love each other and respect each other and serve each other, you'd trade that in for nothing. Because the last day is more important than the first day. As we think about our life as Christians, nothing could be more This is the main point, that your last day should affect how you live and act today. And if you've lived years of your life without ever thinking about the last day, I pray that our time together today would be but one lesson in how to live your life. So what last day are we talking about? The last day of your marriage, the last day of school? Um, I think most of you know where I'm heading here. The last day of the world. Judgment Day is that last day. And I'll be honest with you that as you go about all the stuff on your schedule and your Excel spreadsheets that you need to do um, each and every day, it can be hard to be focused on the last day. It can be because it's kind of intangible. We don't know when it's going to be. And truthfully, we all have a little bit of doubting Thomas in us. And because we've never seen God with our eyes, even people with strong faith, there are days where you wonder, will he ever come? Is this going to actually happen? It's been 2,000 years, right? I'm there with you. I understand. 2,000 years ago, there was a group of Christians that felt that way. Will this ever return? It's funny, because they had been waiting for a whopping 30 years when Peter wrote this. 1,970 years later, about, we're still waiting, right? And the words that Peter wrote to this group of waiting Christians are just as apropos as the rest of us are talking about right now as we observe the last day, the last meal We turn to 2 Peter chapter 3 as he writes to these people who are wondering, will Jesus ever return? Will he ever come back? He writes, don't forget as you think about that and think about will he ever return. Don't forget this one thing. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. Now, um, I have seen Bible people do some crazy things to this verse. I've seen people say, well, this shows that the six-day creation account could actually be, you know, Six million years because God's sense of time is different than our sense of time. That's not at all what Peter is talking about. He's writing in the context of people waiting for Jesus to return. And he's simply bringing up a very obvious truth. 
When you're 10 years old, 10 years seems like a really long time. When you're 50 years old or 80 years old, 10 years seems a little bit shorter than when you were 10, right? When you've been around forever and ever, have no beginning and have no end, 35 years or 55 years or 105 years doesn't seem so long when you're eternal. The entire history of the world seems like, you know, just a little bit of a glance when you're eternal. And so for God, 2,000 years of waiting in the spectrum of eternity really is just a blip on the screen. It's not long at all. That's what Jesus says. And then we continue. Why, though, is he waiting at all? Why wait even 2,000 years? Verse 9. The Lord's not slow. It's not like he's twiddling his thumbs or he's kind of forgotten or he's just, you know, he'll get around to, he's got stuff to do, you know. He's not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's got a plan, but what is his plan? much damage, thankfully not a lot of people. Um, if you watch the news around here and you see uh, five kids in a lake, right? Two of them die, the other three still very full of air, at least the last that I that's a very complicated question uh, as far as all the details, and I'll tell you, I don't have all the answers to all the questions that you might have, but here's what I do know. That God does not cause tragedy, and he's not the cause of pain. That we have to own it. That we as a people, humanity, need to own the challenges and the the crumminess of life as an offshoot of our sinfulness and our ancestors' sinfulness, that God created this world to be perfect, that God does not cause tragedy. And you know what he causes? He causes good things to come out of tragedy. He causes blessing and strengthening of faith to happen even through things that we could never imagine could be good in any way. That's what God does. essence of who God is, is love. And I don't want you to ever forget that, even in the hardest times and darkest things, is love for us. He wants you to be faithful, and he will do whatever it takes, even hardship, to make sure to stay close to you. He 
wants everyone to be saved, even that person you don't like at work, even that person that you don't get along with at school, and you think there's nothing good about them, how they act towards you. God wants them and loves them like he loves you. And the reason he hasn't come back yet is because he's waiting. He's giving them an opportunity. He's patient. Or, as Paul writes to Timothy, another sort of verse that gets to this point, God wants all people, all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Why hasn't Jesus come back yet? You know why? Because there are people in this world that if he would return, would be going to hell, and he's giving them a chance. He's giving them an opportunity to come to understand that he is their Lord and Savior. And so point number two, takeaway number two, God is patient because he's got things to do and he forgot about us. No, he's patient because he wants everyone in this world to be saved. He's giving them time. How much time? We don't know. But he's giving them this moment right now time. Verse 10, going back now to the last point. But, so here's something about God. He doesn't understand, time's different to him, and he's very um, loving. He wants all to be saved. He's patient. But the day of the Lord, then, will come like a thief in the night. Especially in regards to those who don't know him. A thief doesn't say, all right, well, I know you're going to call you up and say, hey, I know you're going to be gone for Thanksgiving. I'm coming Thursday night just to let you know, cleaning everything out. They don't let you know, right? That's the essence of a thief. Secretive, right? So judgment day for those who don't know the Lord is going to be like a thief. They have no idea, and it's going to be a bad thing. The heavens on that day, the last day, will disappear with a roar. The elements of the earth will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid waste. Now, I, I thought we've been talking about how the last day doesn't mean there's something really midnight. <laughs> Sounds kind of scary, right? Well, have you ever um, used a self-cleaning oven? That's the only time. does is it heats it up, right? Heats up that oven so that all of the junk in your oven can be cleaned out. This isn't something to fear because we won't experience this. God is going to come on judgment day. He's going to bring us to him. And then in that moment, he's then going to self-clean the earth. He's going to get out of it all of the, the sin that has made this place not the perfect place that he created it to be. And will he build back on this actual mass in a, in a holy and unsinful type of new existence, or will he build a brand new earth? We're not exactly sure biblically, but it doesn't really matter. After he's done that, then we, with our glorious bodies, will come back to the brand new earth that he has created for us. So this is not something to fear. And not something that we're going to experience. Verse 11. Since, since that's going to happen, 
Friends, everything will be destroyed in this way. Getting to the point of the day. What kind of people are we? Friends, everything you work for that is of this world is going to be burned up and melted. What kind of Since on the last day, everything of this world that you've centered your life around uh, many times by accident or, or all the things that of this world that are so important to you, since when that day comes, and it could be tomorrow, it's all going to be burned up like a self-cleaning oven. What should you be doing? What kind of attitude, what kind of perspective, what kind of to live holy or godly lives as we look forward to the day of the Lord and see and look forward to the day of the Lord. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements of what we know as the, the smelt and heat. But in keeping with his promise to those who believe in him, we look forward to this life will last. When the last day comes and it's a new dimension, we don't know what will happen. All of this will be destroyed. And so what should we do? What should our purpose be today? What should our perspective be right now? Because we don't know when it will be. How should we act in according to what? When we're in our late teens or, or, or 20s, and it's a different point for all of us, um, and younger, we, we begin, we kind of are thinking, you know, you know, I'm kind of strange now, you know, and the world kind of revolves around us, and it's kind of those years where there's all this new stuff happening, and, and you're getting a job, and you're getting married, and, and life seems to be, well, all about this life. Then you get to a certain point in your life and you begin to realize something that just purely from a worldly perspective, there's not a whole lot unique or different about me and the life that I live. Um, most people's lives look pretty similar. You're born. How many of you born? You go to elementary school. How many? You go to middle school. You go to high school. And then there's this big divide, right? Huge difference. Some people get a job and other people go to college. But it's not that different because after college, what do the people decide to do? Get a job, right? So now we're back to the same, okay? And then people tend to, at that point in life, get married or try to get married. 
advantages we have here or try to have here. Is this is this made to anyone's head on like no, right? And then you have grandkids and then you retire and and, and then you spoil the grandkids and then you travel, you play golf and then to that? You know anyone like that? Like everyone? And when we're just living for today, as some of us are in the habit of doing when no control TV, it all begins with being pretty meaningless in the first place, doesn't it? Like MC Hammer, just live for the moment or view on the future. Things don't end for us. But Peter reminds us that there's the last day, and it's more important than today. And in fact, the last day affects how we live and act today, that we ought to live holy and godly lives to the last. Because the last day is more important than today. now is the time to live in view of the last day. If, if you're someone who's just getting back to God, or maybe you don't know a whole lot about God, and you're just kind of reconnecting, or connecting for the first time to your faith, you don't know when the Master will return. Now's the time to learn more, to get connected to go to a starting point class. For those of us who have families as we can and, and know Jesus as our Savior, if someone from the outside were to look at our families, would they see us more living for today and this world or living in view of the last day? I don't know the answer to that question for your family. I know your family is like mine, and that is that none of us get this done perfectly. We always struggle with this. But what ways can we as a family, the way that we parent, the way that we schedule our time, the way we schedule our priorities, in what way can or do we need to connect to live more in view of the last day instead of in view of today? As a church, are we living with view of the last day? Are we going out in our neighborhoods and sharing with that person that needs to know their Savior? Are, are we taking advantage of those opportunities, or are we waiting? Because guess what? Tomorrow might not be here. Now is the time, right? And I know it's hard to bring it up with that family member who's kind of cranky about the whole God thing, and it's, it's hard to bring it up with that, that neighbor, and they may not like necessarily like what you have to say. Who cares? If done tactfully and lovingly, not bull in a china shop, not holier-than-thou attitude, but one of humility and love, who cares how they think and act as we share with them the ways in which we connect? Now is the time. What do we do between now and then? We live in view of the last day. And so we wait. We live. 
right? We do not need to be afraid like a thief coming at some time to, to take what is dear to us. Instead, we wait with anticipation. We wait with anticipation. Um, as we close, I, I think of this anticipation when I think of me coming home um, from work on Sunday. Um, I, I travel maybe once a year. Um, I don't travel a lot except for my flying books. Um, so when I do, it's kind of a big thing. And because I don't do it often, the kids always think or expect that I've brought something home for them. And so they're anticipating my return, I hope, in part because I'm home, um, but also because of what I might be bringing. And I know this because when I come in, they say, hey, Dad, and they come and give me hugs. And while they give me a hug, their eyes are looking at my suitcase. What might be in there for me? And then I put the suitcase down, and in the past, I've kind of sort of played with them a little bit in the sense of, like, I, I know what they're, they just kind of hover. You know, they just kind of wait around till I get over to the suitcase, wondering, and, and go over, and, and I'll go over and pretend, and then I'll watch and, and kind of do something else, and, and, and because they're anticipating what might be brought to them. That's the same in this case here in Luke chapter 23, is that someone much greater Twiddle our thumbs until that day. Now is the time. Live in view of that. 